Hello and welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 201. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're discussing Voyager's third season, Basics Part 2, Flashback and the Shoot. Here we go. Basics Part 2, Season 3, Episode 1, Production Code 146. Original air date, September 4th, 1996. Directed by Winrick Colby, written by Michael Piller, music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Martha Hackett as Seska, Anthony DeLongas as Cola, Brad Dourif as Lon Suter, John Gingenhuber as Tierna, Nancy Hauer as Samantha Wildman, Simon Billig as Hogan, Scott Haven as Kazon Engineer, Michael Bailey Smith and David Cowgill as Aliens, John Kenton Schull as Medicine Man, and Russ Faga as Paxum. <laughs> The crew is marooned on a barren planet, inhabited by primitive but seemingly hostile natives. Only two crew members are left aboard Voyager, the Doctor and Suter, who was presumed dead in the explosion. On the planet, crewman Hogan is devoured by a gigantic worm creature, and the natives on the planet kidnap Kess and Neelix. Chakotay attempts to negotiate for the return, but this does not go well, and he, Kess, and Neelix, plus other crewmen, flee and are forced to hide in one of the caverns that the giant worm lives in. I'm going to have to kill some of them. It is possible. Violence might be required to retake the ship. I've worked so, so hard over the last few months to control the violent feelings. I'm almost at peace with myself. I mean, I see the day coming when I could be. Steve, kick us off on basics part two. Yeah, so, um, see, I guess it's the first real cliffhanger, season cliffhanger of Voyager, um, memory serves. And so I do think it's uh, pretty epic and kind of a, a fun action adventure thing, kind of kind of vibe extent. Continuing off that uh, the last episode, um, I think it's you know in some of this in, in this era of television, the uh, not so great CGI and effects and stuff really <laughs> shows and kind of you know not that we can't see how old this is in other ways sometimes too, but the the more it focuses on that, the more the more you see it. But I, I you know I think it's relatively entertaining. There's a lot going on, and um, you know it's a they basically wrap up some big storylines and some, you know, aliens and characters kind of in one fell swoop to kind of start fresh. So I think that's a positive. Adam, what do you think? Um, Yeah, I kind of feel the same way about Steve. I I think I enjoyed this episode more than part one. Um, Like part one, it's kind of fast paced, um, good pace, action packed. Um, this one is as well. I kind of enjoyed um, having the crew on the planet, all of them, you know, interacting and doing a bunch of different things. Um, Steve's correct, you know, the the giant the giant worm doesn't doesn't play well um, in today's today's world. It's kind of it's more amusing than it is terrifying, but um, it is what it is. Um, yeah, we get a lot of you know, like I said, we get a lot of the storylines um, wrapped up um, with Seska, and um, I think we're done with the Kazon, which is nice. I think Steve and I will be very happy to be done with the Kazon. Um, I enjoyed, um, this I actually is officially really... Steve and Adam's favorite episode of Voyager because <laughs> it's the, <laughs> end of the Kazon. Rest oh. in peace, Kazons. 
I, I really enjoyed the stuff. I really enjoyed the interaction between um, the doctor and Suter, um, their tactics on Voyager to kind of, yeah, that, little, that whole storyline was my favorite. Yeah. Um, my one complaint, they kind of, I mean, they have to, I mean, obviously they're, they're under time constraint. They have to wrap up quite a bit of stuff. And I don't think they even, I was waiting for the doctor at least to at least tell Chakotay that it really wasn't his son because that's kind of what got them in this mess to begin with is they were going to, they were going after Seska and going to get Chakotay's son. And um, there was nothing on that. At the end, I mean, you know, we do see Chakotay, you know, he puts the, you know, puts the, the blanket over Seska's face and kind of just has that poignant goodbye, but there's no, like, you just have to assume that the doctor had that conversation with him. They don't really touch up on that, but there was so much to wrap up there at the end. Um, I guess they just didn't have time for that. Yeah, I think that's what holds this episode a bit, a bit a, back a bit from me. When you think of all the things Seska has been through and, and Voyager has been through, kind of she's really been kind of their nemesis for a while. And the way she dies is so like, wait, what? She just died? You know, um, there's not much. I mean, that's that's a little disappointing, I guess. Uh, it's just the ship gets tasered and she dies. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, it was kind of weird for me, too. Yeah, I was like, yeah. nobody else did. I think it's one of those things where over the years, having watched this several times, it's smoothed it out. But definitely, like the first time, I remember really feeling like, wait, what? That's it? You know? Uh, in retrospect, it reminds me about the way I felt about the final seconds of of the entire series of this show. Um, but yeah, that that's a little disappointing the way... Seska goes out. Now, the way Suter goes out, I think, is great. It really, you see, like, a real arc for his character. Um, I think Brad Dourif is awesome, and his scenes, again, are pretty much my favorites in the episode, and his scenes with the Doctor are excellent. You know, that very first scene when he's with the Doctor, and the Doctor's like, oh, this is, you're just, this is your chance to escape, and Suter's like, no. It's it's that I've worked to get rid of, I'm going to have to kill some of them, you know, and I've worked to get rid of that urge or, you know, to, to put it away, those, that evil. Um, and I'm going to have to confront that again. That's good. That's good writing. That's good character stuff. I, I do really enjoy that. Um, I don't know how I feel about the, the baby is really colors. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's kind of an, by today's standards, that's kind of an easy way out, maybe. Uh, for back then, I guess not. But by today's standards, you know, I don't think you would have done that because you would have either forced Chakotay to deal with his child's absence in future episodes, or you would have uh kept the baby on the ship i don't know um but just saying oh it's actually colors so then nobody's nobody cares when the baby leaves i don't know it seemed like a little bit of a cheat and it's kind of it's kind of yet another short changing uh chakotay as a character too we see that over and over again yeah they should have a a maury povich moment where chakotay gets to jump around (laughs) i'm not the father i'm not the father i like uh i don't know i don't know if i don't think it was supposed to be funny but there's a moment when Chicote is like rescuing Neelix and Cass, 
and he kind of they get up and he's like walk behind me slowly or whatever and he's like i think he says this and he has we have to go now he's <laughs> <laughs> like run we have to go now we have to go now i don't know it was just funny this might be the only time Janeway insists the crew eat worms. I don't think that happens any other time. Yeah, she's oh, very exactly. adamant and serious about it, too. Turn well, over these I, rocks, you know. Except for uh, every time Neelix makes a meal. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. other than that, she doesn't do that. And why does Neelix get to lead a team? <laughs> I mean, it seems absurd. It's in his contract. He's, you know, he gets, he's in the billing, so he gets to lead a team. If Hogan had been a little more assertive, you know, I've been to Starfleet Academy. You haven't. Do I really have to stand here and pick up these bones? Because I'm not comfortable with this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had down somewhere. I was like, you know, because yeah, Janeway was very assertive about everybody boxing. Yeah, do, doesn't everybody at Star, don't they have to go through like this kind of training, survival training anyway? So shouldn't they all be aware of this? I mean, it obviously makes the episode more dramatic. Eat these worms. <laughs> she stuffs them in someone's face. Now, eat them. Or they'll grow up really big and eat you. <laughs> like the guy in the cave. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Poor Hogan. So, Adam, you said you, did you say you like this more than part one? I think so, yeah. Steve, is that how you would feel? I would not agree with that. I don't know. I don't know that I feel either way about that there's um the plotting in part one is methodical and i enjoyed that probably more than than part two which feels a little bit um like they're just trying so hard to wrap stuff up with this with the exception of Suter and the doctor everything else really feels like they're trying to wrap up things, wrap things up quickly and neatly and cleanly, you know? Um, but I feel like we've often talked about how s- even some of the best Star Trek two-parters, part one for me is better. Our classic example is best of both worlds. I mean, in that case, part one was so good that what could you possibly do to live up to it? But is this episode about anything? What's it about? Um, wrapping things up. Um, I, I think you kind of, I mean, what I kind of had most of what it was about is um, Ensign, you know, Suter, you know, he's, you know, you mentioned it a minute ago, Brian, you know, where he, you know, where the doctor was like, oh, this is your chance to escape. And he's like, no, I've dealt with, dealt with these evils in my life. And now you're asking me to, to return to them. So, um, kind of it's a little bit more abstract the the meaning to me is a little bit more abstract but it's kind of like that's kind of how i look at him what this episode's about it's like you dealing with your evils maybe having to return to them and and but dealing but when he but if you see when he did return to them he he felt remorse and he felt um the consequences of his actions whereas before he didn't so it means that he he his character did grow, his personality did grow, and, and those kind of things. Um, I don't know how that applies across the board with the entire episode. I mean, you, I mean, you know, it kind of wraps things up. You know, I mean, I we didn't get a lot of like I said, we didn't get a lot of closure with Seska and um, 
the child issue. So it's hard to, for me to say if there's anything about that that way. But that's the closest thing that I could come up with is um, um, suitor. Yeah, I mean, I think that's since that's you know that that that's so in, that's the most interesting part of it the the uh, suitor and his journey and you know his interactions with the doctor as we said yeah i mean it, it it might be convoluted to try to connect the dots and see that there's some cohesive message here but yeah it is a little bit like a uh, you know dealing with the dealing with your past and um kind of coming to terms with it in one way or another i, I suspect in a way you know because that does apply to some of these other things you know you have to deal with everything that's come before and at some point it comes back to you and you have to you have to you know handle it but yeah i don't know that it's a particularly cohesive message throughout the episode or anything all right let's do six degrees for basics part two steve are you going first or second i'll go first this is Simon Billick's final appearance as Ensign Hogan because he serves as dinner for the cave monster. He played the character in seven episodes. Was that starting in the first or second season? Oh, geez. Second. Yes, sir. Adam, Martha Hackett's character, Seska, meets her demise in this episode. We'll see her later this season as a hologram. And then she will return to the show one final time to play the character in the episode Shattered. Is that season five or seven? I'm going to say seven. Yes, very good. One to one, moving on. Flashback, season three, episode two, production code 145. Original air date, September 11th, 1996. Directed by David Livingston, written by Brennan Braga. Music composed by David Bell. Guest cast include Grace Lee Whitney as Janice Rand, Jeremy Roberts as Dimitri Baltain, Boris Krutenog as Loger, Michael Ansara as Kang, and George Takei as Ukaro Sulu. As Voyager monitors a nebula with large quantities of the power source Ceruleum, Tuvox finds his hand shaking and requests permission to go to sickbay. En route, he experiences a flashback that involves him trying to pull a young girl off a cliff to safety. The girl ends up falling, horrifying young Tuvok. Eventually, he arrives in sickbay and collapses and convulsing on the floor. Ensign, you're absolutely right. But you're also absolutely wrong. You'll find that more happens on the bridge of a starship than just carrying out orders and observing regulations. There is a sense of loyalty to the men and women you serve with. A sense of family. Adam, kick us off on flashback. Flashback. You know, this is a this is a fun episode. Um, and it took me it probably took me a few a few viewings to kind of appreciate it. And I'll, I'll tell you why in a second, but it's, it's a fun, it's a fun episode. And um, it's a clever to me, it's a kind of a clever episode. Cause this is, this is what the 30th anniversary celebration episode kind of thing. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, yes, it's, it's very clever. You know, we have, we have Tuvok. He's having these flashbacks of this memory of this girl falling off a cliff that he can't remember. So we spend, you know, um, part of the episode with the doctor saying this is a repressed memory. Um, we have to get it out. Um, Janeway is going to help him as his family member. 
get this repressed memory out because Vulcans, they can't handle the conscious and unconscious. It's kind of a battle in their brain. So we know that about Vulcans and we get that, we understand that. So once we get into the mind bill, obviously we go back to, um, um, you know, you know, to the, um, to the Kirk years with, with Sulu or we're aboard, we're aboard the Excelsior where, um, Sulu is the captain. Um, so I think when I first watched this episode, it took me a minute. It was kind of hard to suspend disbelief. Um, Cause I'm like, okay, we're going here, but it's a clever way to kind of bring this universe into the Voyager universe through um, Tuvok's memories and his minds and the way a Vulcan mind works. Um, it, it's believable. Like I said, it took me a couple of episodes, a couple of viewings to kind of appreciate it um, and realize that it was really kind of a clever way to kind of do this. So not only do we get an interesting story about Tuvok and we kind of understand his, his character more through this episode, because we find out that he was in Starfleet as a very young man. Then he led for a long time and came back. Um, gives us, gives us a little better understanding of um, Janeway and Tuvok's relationship. And we also get to see, I mean, and it's kind of fun to see Sulu and um, Janeway interact in kind of the strange, strange way inside of Tuvok's head. So um, I like this episode. It's fun. It's good paced. Um, it's a, it's a good story and it's a, it's a clever way to, to bring all this stuff together. I'm not sure I agree about with the with the pacing. There's there's definitely a lot of fun stuff in this episode, but man, the episode's like halfway over before we actually get to the Excelsior. Isn't that really the? It, I mean, that just feels like it's the meat, and it's weird that it takes so long to get there. But once we get there, it's pretty fun, briefly, and then I feel like there's a lot of um, exposition and and like directiony kind of stuff on the Excelsior. Um. But it, I mean, it certainly has moments that are that are really fun fan service. Absolutely. Uh, I just wish. Uh, I don't know, uh, Steve. What are your first thoughts here? Yeah, I, I kind of agree with some of both of what you're saying. I think it's I think it's fun. It's definitely a fan focused thing where you can like basically step into the middle of a movie, the parts we don't see, you know, and find an interesting, a clever way to tie in. They clearly couldn't do like a time travel thing because that's what DS9 was doing with their 30th anniversary episode. Um, but um, you know, so it is clever. But yeah, I you know for it to be, I think a really really good. I think it would have had to have had more. Um, I don't know. I, I like the stuff with the, the notion being that the Janeway is helping him through this, you know, it's their, um, their history together and their bond that do it. But yeah, they don't really get rolling with that until you're a fair amount into the episode. And it does kind of, it is, maybe they could have found a better way to get through it where it wasn't so like, uh, you know, now this and now this, and now let's leave that and now come back to it and a little bit of this and all that. But I mean, on the positive end, I do think it was a clever way to, uh, you know, step into the original series in some respect, which was the goal of these 30th anniversary episodes. And while still uh, maintaining some kind of focus on the, you know, on our primary characters on Voyager, not just the, you know, Sulu and Rand and so on. It's certainly a clever way to do a time travel episode without doing a time travel episode. Right. Right. And it is fun that unlike trials and tribulations, you know, they do this, which at the time, going to Star Trek VI, that was only five years old. Or, Yeah, right, because it's the 25th anniversary movie. Huh? Uh, that movie was only five years old at this time. So it was, you know, that was pretty in context, I guess, and, and made it fun. 
it's hard not to compare this to trials and tribulations, which I think is just a lot more fun uh, and has less of the parts that seem expository, I guess. There's some fun like storytelling choices. I like the way uh, Tubak, like in the scene, he'll be talking to Janeway and telling her, and then I did this, and then he does it, stuff like that. <laughs> I mean, that was kind of funny, but it was fun. I liked it. I actually like the opening sequence with uh, just, we've seen plenty of those scenes where Tupac is complaining to Neelix about food, but I think the word breakfast is, I've always, I've always thought it's kind of a funny word, breakfast. But hearing yeah. Tuvok say it with a little bit of disdain, I don't know. I would prefer not to hear the life story of my breakfast. <laughs> um, you know, they, they'd originally written a scene for Nichelle Nichols in this. Nichols being the only original series person that never did a modern Trek at the time. And she just didn't want to do it. So that's why they added it. They added, had to add a, several scenes, including that that Neelix breakfast scene. Hmm. But uh, she should have done it. Having Kang in there is fun. We haven't even mentioned him. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Rand. It's fun. I just, you know, I kind of want to fast forward through the first 20 minutes or so. <laughs> so um, Russ, he was in um, um, Generations, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He wasn't Tuvok. Right. Right. Yeah. And if, obviously, if you watch Star Trek VI, you will not see <laughs> rest on the left side of the bridge. They do one of these redux things and stick him in there somehow, you know? It's like, oh, wow, there you go. Star Wars style or something. But it was kind of, and every time you want, I watch Undiscovered Country now, I like, with the, you know, because that scene. Because it's a pretty cool scene when the Excelsior hits the wave and um, Sulu's tea falls off and breaks in the actual movie. Yeah, so it's probably the most, the... Surely that's the most exciting opening of of certainly any original series, if not any. I don't know. The first JJ Star Trek has a pretty amazing open. Right. But yeah, it's fantastic. And that and that the main title music. Well, no, we're not talking about that. But uh, anyway, yeah, no, it's great. It's really wonderful. Is this episode about anything? You could say about learning how to deal with your unconscious unconscious memories or <laughs> learning to bring the conscience and unconscious together. I mean, I don't know if that's really what it's, this episode's trying to say, but I mean it kind of makes you think about kind of makes you think about your unconscious thoughts and what's lurking and hiding inside your brain that you're not aware of. Like I said, I'm not sure if that's what this episode is about, but it's kind of just what made that's it made me think about those kind of things that go on in my own head. Yeah, I think if anything, yeah, like I said before, I think they if they would have fleshed out a little bit better, had better examples in there of of how Janeway's helping Tubok through it. I mean, I think that's the core of it. To me, it's almost like you sometimes you need some assistance and perspective to understand your own you know, issues in your past or something. So I think that can be a little bit of a lesson in it. I think it could have been done a little better, but as far as making it more of a theme throughout the episode, but that sticks out to me. Um, maybe if they could have, I thought, think they could have driven that point home more. Maybe they could have left out the, you know, cause obviously this, this memory that Tuvok is having is it's a virus or it's a parasite, right? So I don't know if they necessarily needed to do that. They could have just maybe focused more on Tuvok's time and 
his early time in Starfleet. Maybe there was some traumatic memory that there that he hadn't dealt with. So I kind of felt like, kind of felt like even though this was this episode was about Tuvok and about him, I mean, it was a you know it wasn't it was a it was a parasite, and I think it would have been a little bit more of an interesting episode if it was actually something that he was repressing as opposed to um, it just being a parasite. Yeah, then so there might way, have been, yeah, there might have been a little more, more, to more growth. Right, you could right. have a little bit more growth from the character and a little bit more understanding. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. And also, Janeway's impact on helping him could be something more real versus just oh, you know what, it was just a parasite, and good thing we figured that out. You know, and we're done. You know, he, he caught a bug from a dead guy. What are you going to do? I don't like I said. I don't know if that was necessary. I think that it could have been a more impactful story on the you know the other way. All right, let's do six degrees for flashback. Adam, are you going first or second? Um, I'll go first. Grace Lee Whitney returns as Janice Rand. Name the first Trek feature that she was in. She returns as Janice Rand doing the scenes from Star Trek VI. What was the first feature that she was in for Star Trek? First feature? Was it a motion picture? Yes, sir. Steve, name the first original series episode she was in in airing order or whatever yeah i was actually about to tell you it can be either airing or produced okay because it's not the same it would be two different there are two possible answers i'll take either i see all right and when you think gosh i charlie x nope Hmm. she was in man trap and corbin my maneuver ah okay Corbin might being first produced and Mantrap being first aired. All right. Uh, 2-1, Adam, moving on. The Shoot, Season 3, Episode 3, Production Code 147. Original air date, September 18th, 1996. Directed by Les Landau. Story by Clavin C. Harris. Teleplay by Kenneth Biller. Music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Don McManus as Zeo, Robert Pine as Ambassador Lyria, James Parks as Bell, Ed Trotta as Pitt, Beans Morocco as Rib, and Rosemary Morgan as Peary. <laughs> On the Akaterian homeworld, Tom Paris and Harry Kim are falsely accused of a terrorist bombing using trilithium, which kills 47 Arcarian citizens. They are sent to a brutal prison where inmates must fend for themselves to survive. When Captain Janeway tries to intercede, she is told by Ambassador Leary of Arcadia that Harry and Paris confess to the crime. Remember our deal? What deal? If it comes down to it, you're going to save yourself, right? If you see a chance, just go. Don't come back for me. I think the clamp must really be starting to make you crazy. I'm serious, Harry. This is actually an interesting episode, I think. For some reason, I've always really remembered this episode well. Um, I'm not exactly sure why that is. Um, but in some ways, there's nothing... There's nothing extraordinary about this episode or terribly remarkable, but somehow something about it always stuck with me and I always remembered it. I almost remember it better than Basics Part 2 or Flashback, actually. Because like Flashback, when you're watching it and it takes 20 minutes to get to Excelsior, you're like, I don't remember any of this stuff. I just remember Excelsior. (laughs) Um, But the shoots, I don't know, it's kind of interesting. 
uh, that it that it seems to have stuck with me over the years for whatever reason. Definitely, we always want to ask the question: Why? Well, not just Voyager, really, but all Star Trek ships. Why do they keep sending their people on shore leave to such awful places? <laughs> I mean, just bad, terrible place. There should be the there should be some kind of a sign, and they should know not to send them there. Adam, your first thoughts here. Well, first off, I'll read this. I think I have a little bias. When I watched this episode, I was really sick. I had a, had a bad fever going on. So probably not the best episode to watch when you're sick because there's, um, this episode's got a lot of, it's got a lot of high anxiety because they're, you know, they're in a prison, they're in terrible conditions. They're not the clamp, the clamp. They can't eat. They're scratching their heads. Paris is going crazy because he got stabbed. So, I honestly just couldn't wait for the episode to get over with because I'm like, I feel terrible and this is not helping. Um, but I think the episode um, does a good job of um, bonding um, Paris and Kim. You know, obviously through the first couple seasons, we've seen how their friendship kind of grow and they're kind of the bonding. You know, they're almost like brothers. They're 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 best friends basically, and uh, we see that kind of come through in this episode. I mean. Yeah, there's some up and downs, ups and downs in this episode early on. You know, you see Paris, you know, he's dealing with this device and he gets on to, to Kim. And obviously later on in the episode, Kim starts beating down on Paris. But in the end, um, you know, it's Kim that's saying, this is my friend and nobody's going to touch him. And um, I think this is kind of, you know, regardless of kind of what you think about this episode or how you feel about it. In the end, this is a good episode for those two characters and, and bonding. Um, their relationship um, from what it's been and going forward. Yeah. It's kind of funny because I, I, I agree. It's one of these that <clears throat> I do remember it really well. It's one of these that feels like, why have I seen this enough times for this to be more memorable than others? Or is there just something about it that's that way? I don't, I don't know what it is. Um, and I also don't remember it like seeing a lot where I like really dig it. Like it's one of my favorites or something, but I can't, I can't really knock it because it's both memorable and it, it does, it is fairly unique, you know, you know, there's not, I can't really think of a lot of comparable storylines or quite, you know, there's enough elements that are, um, you know, unusual about this, you know, I mean, there's, there's certain elements that we've seen before by themselves, you know, but like putting them all together in this way and, you know, and it, because of the dynamic with Kim and Paris and all of that, I mean, I think it's, it's got something going on there too, you know, um, there, there's one point that like somewhere like a not long after it starts so it feels like it's going to bust into some kind of like west side story knife fight or something that's a little odd I, I, that struck me like right then it all gets kind of goofy or something but that, that passes pretty quickly and um anyway that's that's kind of those are my thoughts on it right near the end it feels like we kind of miss something uh whenever they're rescued and then it jumps i don't know there's a there's a moment there when all of a sudden like like they skipped over a bunch of stuff it always felt a little weird. I like to wrap things up fast, it seems. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, talking about their bond, those two, um, Kim and, and Paris, I will say this is the most slashy episode in all of Voyager. Uh, the, I, at the time, the term was slash. Uh, if you guys are familiar with that term. Familiar with that term? Give us some context. Uh, it's not what the it's not what the kids call it anymore. 
but back then it was called Slash. It was like like fan fiction where they paired a couple of characters up romantically. Oh, oh, sorry. Okay. Okay. Yeah, now that started in the 60s with Kirk and Spock Slash fiction. Okay. Um, and it's still very popular today, but they don't call it Slash. I can't remember what they call it because I'm uh, <laughs> I'm an old man. It has a much more like pairing or something like that. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, uh, this is definitely the most slashy episode in all of Voyager. And it's just, it's funny. Like, I just, I see like, here, here let me put this in context. When I watch this episode a little bit, I'm, I'm seeing like fan drawn art. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. I like, uh, I like that it starts uh, kind of in media stress there with, so, so that Tom can just, Tom can just explain everything about the prison because he's been there for a few days and he can, and he's telling it to Kim. So that's a clever way to catch us up and skip a bunch of stuff. I think the clamp is, I think the clamp is probably the most interesting thing in this episode. And it's, it's, it's the thing that really makes the episode work. Um, And it's different. It's unique. Maybe, maybe when I say, "Why do we remember it?" I think maybe the clamp, because the clamp is like, it serves that purpose, but it's not really in your face or obvious that that maybe that's one of the things that makes it so unique. You could see Kim getting to the point that he gets to if he's in this prison for like years and years, but it really makes it work in a compressed amount of time, you know. Sure. Right, right. It, it's the equivalent of some kind of post-traumatic stress thing, you know, yeah. or a long thing. But how do you make that? How do you compact that? And well, here's your answer. Yeah. Plus, it looks like the only thing they have to eat is soap, like soap bars coming out of them. <laughs> soap. <laughs> I don't know what that is. I like that moment when he climbs up the chute and and the camera just like pulls out, and now it's a space station. Yeah. Um, I think they could have made that a lot more like creepy and scary and big they could have made more out of that moment i think they had room and you know garrett wang maybe isn't my favorite actor on the show he's he's fine but occasionally he's pretty good and this is one of those episodes where i'm like he's pretty good you don't realize when it starts that it's going to kind of turn into more of a garrett wang episode than anything else but it definitely does by the end and he's pretty good actually he really is you guys got anything for what this is about well, in a lot of ways, this is a survival episode. It's just kind of getting through. I mean, it's a you know, you know, prison episode, surviving prison, surviving the crazy people, and you know, keeping your, staying true to who you are, and um, kind of what had done, you know, Kim, and even Paris to an extent before he got stabbed. You know, staying true to who you are and not letting the outside elements um, influence you to the point where you may you compromise who you are as a as a person. Yeah, it's kind of like how can you, you know, some some of what you are is how you handle things when you're stressed out, and obviously that clamp thing that helps, you know, show that, you know, you see, okay, what does this do to people, and what's what is your character when you're under stress, and can you, you know, and we have Kim and Paris and their their friendship, and you know, it's it's strained, but it holds together even though they're both under these crazy conditions so um yeah it's it's interesting it's a unique episode 
okay, I looked it up. <laughs> I think the modern term I was looking for was shipping, and I'm a 42 year old man, and I will not go into that anymore because uh, that's what young people know about, and I am not one of them, and I will not be the the 42 year old trying to be hip. <laughs> So probably got some fun uh, stuff just by right. doing the search, right? I mean, you probably yeah. Some, yeah. All right. Let's do six degrees for the shoot. Uh, Steve has one. Adam has two. One of these two questions is pretty darn easy, but I'm not going to tell you which one. Adam, are you going with the first question or the second question? I'll go number one. Robert Pine plays Ambassador Lyria, the jerk of an ambassador who isn't interested in hearing the truth from Voyager. In the Enterprise episode Fusion, he played Captain Tavin. What species was Tavin? Hint, people were surprised with how friendly he was to the Enterprise crew. Um, Vulcan? Yes. Steve, there's no way you can win today. Mm-hmm. Name Robert Pine's son, IRL. Hmm? Name Robert Pine's son in real life. Oh, Chris. The guy that played Ambassador Lyria. Chris Pine, yeah. Yes, Chris Pine is his son. Funny, funny. <sighs> funny, funny. All right. So we've started the third season of Voyager. We're just flying along. So, folks, you can follow us on Twitter at Trek Companion. Our Facebook listener page is facebook.com slash Trek Companion. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. You can leave a review on iTunes for us. That's how people find us. We love that. Um, So thank you for spending an hour with us. And until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. See ya. Stefan, I passed it.